call recorder is not recording. Now it's recording. Hello. My call Hello. recorder is recording now. Hello. Hello. I'm, it's going good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm that good. was, uh, that, see, we had a pre-show and now we have a real show, but the pre-show only lasted about um, eight, f- four seconds when, <laughs> when it wasn't recording. That's what she said. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Oh, there we are. There oh. We are. Um, this is a special, uh, this is a shutdown special today. <laughs> is it? It is. Is it? Are, are you shut down there no, in North Carolina? I'm not, I might. I might go shut down. I might furlough myself. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what she said. Um, uh, um, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, this, this Don, I think will be, if not the last, one of the last podcasts I do in my actual office. Because, Whoa. yeah, so, um, and not, not anything, it's uh, you know, not, not anything against my office, um, but uh, I've, uh, I've, I've kind of carved out a little uh, space in the, in the kitchens that, in our observation room. That, oh. Yeah, so it's, well, it's but now, contained. What if, what if there's people in there doing experiments Fair when, enough. You're, yeah. when, you're, when you're podcasting? Then I'll come back, then I'll come back to my office. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. But, uh, but I'd like to pri- make, make it my primary spot because... I have uh, um, it's it's got its own little area. It is double doored. It has its own HVAC. I can. Uh, it's like a studio. It's a studio within a within a kitchen. So um, yeah, it's, it's got some uh, uh, secondary function that I hadn't thought about until we started uh, messing around down there. I was like, you know, it's very quiet in here. Maybe I'll do my podcast from down here. Huh? Or so our so, podcast, so. not my podcast. <laughs> So, so nice save. Um, so, so this is interesting. So is the, is it a, um, like describe the space to me? Cause sure. I, this, this sounds really interesting. Yeah. So, so in, um, it used to be a big, large storage area with 14 or 16 foot, uh, ceilings inside the middle of my, of my building. So, um, think of, think of a building that is two stories, and on uh, the upper floor, you have – it's almost like set up like offices. On the lower fo- floor, there are offices around the perimeter, on the outside walls of the space. And on the inside walls, um, there was a hallway that was kind of, um, uh, I guess, uh, rectangular shaped. And in the middle of the entire space is this, um, this storage area. And so within the storage area – we when you walk in on the left hand side there are three equal sized consumer kitchens and on the right hand side there's a little seating area and behind the seating area is a an observation room where all of the camera angles from those consumer kitchens go almost like a control room and then as you continue on the right hand side past that observation um, while there's a large kitchen that is probably the size of um, all three of the smaller kitchens put together that can seat about 25 people and has a, a, a massive island with a cooktop in it that is almost like a TV studio. And, oh. and so the, the, where I'll be doing – I won't be doing the podcast from that area because it's not really set up to kind of sit and, and talk, but the observation room has – Three workstations in it, and um, a sort of a big desk, um, L-shaped desk with with these workstations, and uh, a place where I'll be able to clamp a, a podcast arm and make it a studio. 
So, so it's the so it's the control room. It's the control room. I'll be in okay, the control room. Cool. I'm gonna so be- you could you could actually be watching people preparing food while you were you could be doing like a play by play. I could. Oh yeah, absolutely. I could I could talk about um, uh, participants and if they're using a thermometer, I could let you know um, how they're what how much salt that they're adding to their kimchi um, or the or the cabbage and, and carrots that they're making their kimchi with. Um, yeah, I can I I can tell you all those things. I could. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would make for good radio, but uh, <laughs> but I could. But we could we could absolutely do that. We could in fact set something up. Where uh, where you would ask me questions and I could relay what people are doing, and we could even bring people in um, to at the start of an episode and have them talk about what they what they think they're going to do, and then I'll give play by play, and then we could ask them afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's going to be a very good show. <laughs> no, I, 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 maybe it's not such a good idea now that you explain it to me. Yeah, um, but but it's 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 certainly possible. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So, so anyway, this, um, I, I have removed I, over the last year and a bit, 18 months, I've had a whole bunch of stuff stored in my office for the kitchens, um, mix, you know, a big KitchenAid mixer, a kitchen cart, some ice makers. And these are things that we would take off site to do observations and now they will, they will reside in these, in these kitchens. So I now have like my, I don't know the the floor space and wall space in my in my office has doubled or tripled. It, it seems very empty now. So that's where mm-hmm. I am. Yeah, lonely in my lonely office with no ice makers. Uh, so. is that a reference? No, it's. I just. I don't think so. Maybe it's like it's something that the Coen Brothers will use in an upcoming. Uh, movie, but what? Why? Oh, oh, because oh, the ice makers that were sorry that I was trying to were, figure out the yeah. ice makers, but these are ice makers that were being not connected. They were being stored in your in your stored. office. Yeah. Okay. Got we, it. When we would go, um, the first year of one of our projects, we we did a lot of. Um, we used MS two. Um, I think mm-hmm. I talked a little bit about this in, in a previous podcast where um, one of our participants got particularly upset that we didn't tell him that we were using. Um, a, uh, a some sort of biological tracking agent, as it's uh, as the terminology was in, in our communications, but uh, MS two in, in year one, and then um, a, a non pathogenic um, K twelve uh, strain of E. coli this year. And so when we would swab off site and do six or eight observations in a day, we needed to be able to make ice to keep those those samples on ice, so we can then transport them back to the laboratory. Um, and because it it may be an hour or an hour and a half from, from campus where we were doing these, these observations. So, so we had to have these ice makers and now we have them, we will make ice in our kitchens with them as well. You know, I just thought of what you could have said to him. Okay. Um, as a, as a comeback. Well, you're upset about MS2, but um, we could have used MS13. (laughs) (laughs) We could, we could have been using MS13 then. How pissed would you be? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's true. It's, it's true. probably good you didn't say that. No, it's, it's that's this is like a like the Seinfeld episode where you think of the comeback uh, afterwards yeah. and you say the jerk store called and they they want you back. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, oh yeah, yeah. So so yeah. So anyway, this is uh, this could be it. it. It probably won't be the last one, but my primary podcasting area will be elsewhere. And we were all prepared. This, the listeners don't know this, but. Our um, our text communications last week were uh, me preparing for 
zero snow or a foot and a half of snow, which was somewhere in the predictions. Um, and so I took my microphone and my headphones, all the things I need for the podcast, took them back to my house with the thought that today we may be recording from home or I might have been recording from home. And uh, it turns out um, the temperature never dropped below like 36 degrees and it rained all day yesterday. And But north of here are many friends in the D.C. area who, who we have – um, who we know about on uh, from Facebook have like six or eight inches of snow. Um, so you got your they're furloughed and have snow, which uh, you know it's a. The, I think a snow day is much more fun when when you're not furloughed, like yeah. when you're supposed to be at work. Yeah, for for sure. And yeah, and when I was looking at the forecast earlier in the week, uh, there was a significant possibility that we were going to actually get snow uh, here in New Jersey and uh, in in Central Jersey, and we ended up not. Uh, but in like South Jersey, um, they got like six six to ten inches. So they they again that 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 storm really split the difference between where you are and, and where I am. And yeah, and clobbered South Jersey and uh, Maryland and and uh, and DC. So we got lucky. There, yep, we're we're in the. Um... The no snow zone, which which is good. Um, I just started eating something while you were talking. Mm. So that's mm. always good. Um, so we have, I mean, we have a ton of stuff to talk about. But, and I have a question for you that I'm going to throw back at you in a second. Sure. Because you asked me on Twitter, and this was really what I wanted to talk about almost all the mm. time today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, now I've, I've swallowed what I was eating. Um, I, so in the world of non-food safety or, uh, um, adjacent to food safety, I know you had talked about, um, wanting to read more books, right? Mm -hmm. So I started a book yesterday, um, and, and, and read like the first, I don't know, four chapters. I was engulfed in this yesterday. Um, and it's, uh, it's called, uh, the poison squad. And have you have you heard of this? It's by I have I De- have heard of Deborah this. Blum. Yeah. It is yep. you should go. This is this is our your homework. At some point in the next, um, you know, whatever you have your list of your books, go read this book because it's it's really good. And um, what I, I'm not going to go too much into the in, into the details of it, but it um, Deborah, who I follow on. Um, on Twitter. And I think she's interviewed me for, uh, she also, um, does freelancing for some magazines. So we've talked at some point a while ago. Um, she is a, a phenomenal storyteller. Uh, and, and so the, uh, the early part of the book talks about chloroform and I, I and as a, uh, as a tool for poisoning, and there are all these sidebars about New York City in um, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, uh, and the coroner that was there being a drunk, and and I, I, you know I can just imagine from her perspective going through old newspaper articles and coroner reports and police reports to pull together the narrative about the individuals, not just the happenings that happened. And I loved it. Like I'm, I I was just engulfed with the storytelling and it, you know, it's, it's something that we've talked about on the podcast. What I think draws me into podcasts and 
it, even the types of TV shows that we watch now that we, you know, Danny and I watch and the types of podcasts that she's become really interested in, they're all stories. It's all, it's all just like narrative and, and, and you know, you're, you've got, uh, you're learning more about the characters as, um, as individuals, as opposed to the, you know, the, the thing that's happening in, in the book or in the podcast and that. So anyway, Deborah does, you should check this book out. Go, go read it. I got it from our, our public library. Um, and, and, and it was, it's awesome. Go read it. The poison squad. Yeah. yeah so I was not following her on uh, Twitter. I have fixed that. So I am now following her and this does look good. I, um, so in, in update, updates on what I'm reading. So I did finish uh, Proof of Collusion, which was good. It was, um, it didn't, and so basically the the only two books I think that I read, um, uh, or at least in recent memory in, in 2018, were uh, Bill Browder's Red Notice, which we've talked about before, and Proof of Collusion. And Red, Red Notice absolutely drew me in, and it was really a, a great story. Proof of Collusion felt more like a homework assignment, um, but it was um, it was, it was really good and it it was well written, but it's just so like, I got, I got to the point where it's like, well, Oh, I wait, I'm, I'm 60% through the book, but this sure looks like the last chapter. And the reason why, <laughs> and the reason why is that yes, at 60% of the way through the Kindle book, you are, you are reading the last chapter because essentially 40% of it is end notes, right? It's, it's all of the references that, that, uh, Seth Abramson pulls together in writing this monumental book. So it would be, I mean, he's a journalist and it's written, um, you know, it, but it's written, it's really written the way you would write a scientific manuscript, right? In other words, he makes these statements, he backs them up with this, again, just incredible documentation of really, you know, again, it's sort of like the crazy red yarn wall, right? I mean, he, he pulls all of this stuff, uh, together, um, um, in, 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 in what is it? And, you know, the other problem, I don't say it's a problem with the book. The other reason I found the book difficult is like, there's tons and tons of Russian names and it's just, it's very, very, it's a very like dense book in terms of the reading, but I'm, I'm glad that I read it. I'm, I'm, it was definitely, you know, I was happy to give, happy to give, um, Seth the money for the book, um, you know, to buy the Kindle edition and to read it. And it was a good, it was, it was, it was good. Like I, I felt good that I read it, but it was, it really felt towards the end. It really felt, um, like I was just like moving through molasses. And again, that's not a reflection on him or his writing style. I think it's more than just the, just the content. And then it's like, how many, how many, how many ways does he have to make the case? Right. Right. Like, just like, uh, okay, right. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you, you've established there's, there's proof, right? And, and here's more. And here's right. more. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it just keeps going and going. But, but yeah, so for sure I've, I've put, I've, I've, I'm following Deborah Blum now and I, I, I do want to read another book and I've got a bunch of books that I bought that are sitting on my Kindle that I haven't, that I don't feel compelled to pick up and start reading any of them, but this one might be, this one might be worth doing, especially if it's, if it's written in a way that, that really draws you in and it's a good story, right? It, yeah. It's a good story. It's, um, I, I think for me, it checks both of those boxes. It, there, there are sort of multiple stories in it that, that focus on the different types of, um, ways that people, um, have been poisoned. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, and some of, some of that's food. So, right. So you have this connection to the things that we do. There's, there's a, uh, um, uh, so far in the book, there's a little bit of discussion on um, Typhoid Mary and uh, just a little bit more in-depth on that story, uh, pulling from 
you know, what, what I think are news reports or, or you know, whatever. Um, so, so it's interesting, but it's also just, uh, you know, when you read something and you read it and go, man, I wish I could write like that, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's, it's just the the story is so well done it's it's concise the prose is good everything about it like i'm enjoying it for that as much as the content hmm. which yeah. is which is cool right like that's yeah, absolutely that's kind of that's kind of fun i also i'm we talked a little bit about the fifth risk and um mm-hmm. that which is another book that's in my kindle library yeah. that i haven't read yet yeah so so that one i would uh, this is how i would suggest you read it read the first chapter on it where Michael Lewis kind of sets up the here here's what I mean by the fifth risks and then fast forward to the USDA and food part. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cuz the other part's interesting but I don't have any context for it. Like nuclear stuff is it's I don't I don't have a um I don't have enough of an interest in other than like not wanting to die from a nuclear holocaust but on the particulars of it. It's not as um accessible. Uh, I think as, as, as this book is for me. Um, and then the USDA part's kind of interesting. So, um, well, so speaking, oh, oh, two things. So, um, I have revisited the, uh, Danny and I've revisited the Americans, um, Mm -hmm. which is a really good show that ended two years ago. Um, and so it, it is about, Spies, America, uh, Russian spies who um, in the 1980s are uh, – pose as a married couple in the D.C. area and then do their, their spy things. And the stories about them and how um, – you know, the personal aspect of how do you – how are you a spy that poses as a family? And what are the emotional things that, that go through you when you have to like go – steal something or go like kill somebody, which is not something that I I'm very familiar with either of those things, but it does a really good job, um, constructing, like bringing together, um, what, what I think it would be like. Um, and so it's, it's not, not a long, um, series. I think it's six seasons. Um, there admittedly are a couple of slow parts in a few of the seasons, but we're in the, um, sixth season right now and it's really, really good. So, it's right. So I would, uh, if if you haven't watched the Americans, go check it out. I think uh, Kristen will find it problematic because mm. the good guys and bad guys issue. Like the good guys yeah. are, the, are the the good guys are the bad guys, and the bad guys are the good guys. Yeah. So we we've been talking. So we're we're coming up on the end of something that we're watching, which I'm going to fill you in on in just a minute, and trying to decide what the next thing might be. And actually, they were just talking about this on a recent episode of ATP. Like, there's just too much good TV um, out there. Like, there's just too many things to watch. But I think what we we're, we might we might start um, True Detectives or True Detective. Oh rather, yeah. Because um, the third season of that is coming out, and we have not even watched the first season, so we might do that. But what we are uh, closing in on the end of is uh, again. Again, British uh, crime drama um, uh, called DCI Banks, and uh, it's again, it's a British, so there are short seasons. There's there's or series. There's five series. Uh, each series is about six episodes. Each episode is uh, like each uh, like so two episodes kind of make a case. So it's uh, it's like a um, uh, I guess it's an hour. An hour and a half and an hour and a half. So basically three each. Each case is about three hours and they're all based on novels uh, by this fellow, uh, Peter Robinson. But it's 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 quite good. Uh, And again, it's just sort of British crime drama. But the cases are always um, 
very intricate. It's one of those television shows that you really have to, you can't do anything. I, at least I can't do anything else. I have to just basically focus on watching the show, you know, the, the give it my entire time. Cause if I start looking at my phone, like five minutes later, I look up and I miss something important that now I don't understand the rest of anything that's going on. So, um, so it's, it's, uh, it's quite good and we're enjoying it very much, but we are coming to the end where I think we're, uh, we just finished the first, um, case in, uh, the, the fifth series. So we've just got basically a couple more nights of television before we, we finish with this. So is anyway, that, is that a, um, uh, an Acorn TV? Are you watching that on on the uh, things that I might have, like uh, Amazon or? I think it's. Netflix? I want to. I want to say it's Amazon Prime. Yeah. Okay. Um. So you could you could watch it. No, I, I don't think it's an Acorn thing. So I'll check yeah. that out. Yeah. My. Um. I look. I'm, as I look at the uh, Wikipedia page and some of the images for DCI Banks. It reminds me, you know, you've got a, two people that look like detectives that are standing in front of a gray sky, <laughs> yes, like yes. every other British crime drama. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is the look. Just stand yes. here in the in the in the gray, exactly, um, with a trench coat or 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 something like that. Um, yeah. Anyway, but uh, we're, you know, I, I think we this might be something that we might uh, we, we could check out. I'm all I'm all about you know like, I'm, I agree with the discussion on ATP. There's there's just too much good stuff and what i'm finding it hard to do is there and you know we've talked a little bit about this and this is not um just uh, unique to me but there are certain series that i like and there are certain series that both danny and i like and so i want to watch those things together but then sometimes there's not enough time to watch the things that i want to to watch on my own so i do that when i travel and right now i'm i'm trying to put a push on to catch up to game of thrones by april when the new game of thrones comes out and I don't know, I like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, um, because there's, there's so much other stuff, right? There's no, um, there's not a lot of time, not a lot of time and there's sports and stuff. So well, mm-hmm. yeah, first world problems, Don. Yeah, it's tough. It's I tough. wish, wish I was furloughed. I'd just watch, I'd bang through Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll get, we'll, don't worry. We'll get to all that. Um, so what else, what else is going on? What's going on in your, uh, in your world? Uh, you oh, well, about? Um, not too much, not too much. Just doing lots of writing. I'm, I'm editing IAFP abstracts that my students, uh, and, and collaborators have written. So that's, that's taken up a lot of my time, uh, working on a manuscript, um, working on graduate program director things, a uh, bunch of stuff going on there. Um, my, I, I, my, I'm overdue on my extension reports. Um, so I got to beg some forgiveness on that. Yeah. Get those done. We um, have until yeah. February on ours. Yeah, I, I had until Friday, this past Friday, and I missed that deadline. So I always have intentions. Like they always tell us in, in November, oh, I'm yeah. like, yeah, that would be a great thing to do over the Christmas holidays. Um, and then I never do it. And then and then I didn't get to it even by, you know, the 11th day of the new year. So, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I totally, uh, totally understand. Um, I, uh, I have a benefit this year. Um, which won't exist in other years is that I, I um, put together my my dossier and, and packet to go um, for uh, you know promotion and full full uh, full professor and that was all due in August so I already compiled everything pre August so I really only have four months of things to do um, and so I I feel like I've uh, I prepared a lot earlier this year because it was necess- uh, necessary for the promotion. Yep. Um, exactly. So, yeah. Um, I uh, uh, there was something else I was going to tell you about. Um, oh, oh, oh. Um, hey, so this is there. I, I guess three kind of things came up at, at the same time, 
and I wanted to to chat with you, and this is not just food safety stuff. So um, uh, there's a person who I follow on Twitter. Um, her name is uh, Astro Katie. Do you know? Do you know about Astro? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So she's awesome, like, awesome science uh, tw- tweeter. Yep. Yeah, amazing science tweeter. She's an astrophysicist who um, has I can't remember where she was before. Maybe a school in California, UC Berkeley, or or somewhere. And um, she has recently, like within the last year or eighteen months, um, moved to NC State as part of a cluster hire. And oh, I'm, oh, very cool. Yeah, I did not know that. Super, super, super cool. And I've, n- I've never, um, we've not met, um, but we, we have um, interacted a little bit um, on the Twitter. And uh, she's for a long time been one of my favorite, um, my favorite t- um, Twitter follows. Anyway, she she wrote something um, on Twitter, uh, and I'll have to go back and see if I can find this. But um, basically saying, hey, uh, she told a story about how she, um, when she was a high school student, she got um, lucked into like shadowing a, a faculty member or went to a lab at a, at a university for a day, and that was like um, so. And I'll, I don't know, I found it. So she said. Um, here's a poll, fellow academics. If a high school student wanted to shadow you at work for a couple of days of your choosing, is this something you'd be willing to set up? And then uh, she said, I had a student shadow me for a day when I was a postdoc as part of work experience set up by both the high school and university. I think it went reasonably well, but I don't know how easy it would be to set up logistically without an existing system in place. And then uh, she said, when I was a high schooler, I was extremely fortunate to find a physics prof who let me come in and try my hand at some research stuff. And it was amazingly valuable for me, but it takes having certain resources, time and experience to be able to offer that. Not every prof does. And so I just let her like responded to her and I was like, hey, I'd love to make something like this happen at, at NC State or help, you know, be part of this. So it, it got me thinking about um, experiences that, that I had when I was a high school student and I didn't have any of these. Like I didn't, I, I lived a well away from any sort of university or higher education. I mean, the closest, um, the cl- closest community college to me was probably 30 minutes. And then the closest university was 45 minutes. And when I was in my final year of high school, we had a project that, that was go to the, to the university library and look something up. But I, I didn't really, no, I didn't really get any experience um, on what higher education was was like. And both my parents, um, my my dad um, didn't go to to college or or university until I was in like eighth grade, and he did it by distance. So he didn't have like a traditional university kind of background. And my mom went um, for a year. And then, and then dropped, you know, dropped out of, didn't, didn't finish her, her degree. So I, I never really had any connection to it until I went to, to university myself. And, and then it took a while to, to get into, I guess, the, the community of what do professors do and, and, and how, what are their, what, what are the constraints and barriers that they have and who, who are they? like responsible to and what, you know, it sort of even learning about the intricacies of how the scientific method happens in practice and all that kind of stuff. So I've been, um, you know, partially because I didn't have that, that experience. Um, I'm, I've always been open to having 
um, students and interns, and and I, I think it was it would have been really valuable. So this this like tweet came up, and so I was like, you know, I should do something. And then, yeah, as as per most things, it's like, hey, that's a that's a great idea, but I'm you know what how what am I going to do? And sort of, I guess, randomly, um, I got an email from a high school student in um, in Virginia saying. Hey, I've got a science project that I need to do for my honors, you know, class or whatever it is in, in high school, and um, it's on spoilage and best before dates. And I was googling and I came across her name. Would you be interested in being my mentor for from afar for this project? And I think I like. I think if it had not hit at the same time that I was already thinking about um, you know, Kitty Max and Astro Katie's tweet, I would have been like, "Oh yeah, yeah, sure." And then, but um, but this time I was like, you know, that this is really important, and we I should do more of these things. And so, sort of immediately, I was like, "I'm in." You know, what I, tell me what the next steps are. I'd like to to do this. And um, as I started got talking about this with a couple of folks in my group. I'd love to have – so the, this individual, we've been corresponding, and, and one of the things that I'm, um, I've, I've offered up to her is to – instead of just doing this by, by far, if there was a day that would work within her schedule, to come just like shadow my group, come hang out here for a day to get a sense of what the academic world is like, what it's like to be um, a, you know, a college student and what it's like to, to, to go on to, to further degrees. Um, I, as I as, as I get more into the middle part of my career, I'm I'm really I'm really trying to make sure that I um, think about how to encourage others to 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 further the the world of science. And so this is one of the things that that came up. And then another kind of random thing, one of my um, former postdocs who we we do some collaborating with um, right now. Um, texted me and said, Hey, um, you know, can I chat with you sometime? And I was like, sure. So we, we talked on the phone last week and she, her, her, um, niece lives here in Raleigh and is just finishing high school and is like, just looking for a science is really interested in science and is looking for an opportunity. So I was like, ah, this is all coming together kind of at the same time of I'd love to host somebody else. So, so anyway, I just, uh, two, two things. One, I wanted to get your, your thoughts on this. And then two, to to sort of broadcast this out to the to the listeners of I'm I, not only am I open to these types of things I'd really love for people to um to to learn more about what we do if it's even for a day or learn more about the process of of higher education and science and um and, and try things out um so this is like it's it's kind of an open call if if people are out there and they're interested in this um and it's not even me that you know I might not be even the right person for what their interests are but feel free to connect with me and and I'll try and connect with other people in my college or in my university that are that are doing these things cuz that Katie's tweet really made me think like I I do like have the time and um, ability to to try and like formalize and make something like this happen a little bit. So so anyway, what do you what do you like? Have you had experiences like this with high school students and folks that are not undergrads that that aren't already selected? Um, yeah, haven't already sort of selected this as a as a path for themselves. 
Yeah, and and I've I've been so they've have um they've had food or food related challenges for some of these Lego competitions, and so I've been contacted by. In fact, I was just contacted probably in the last month by um, some some Lego students doing something. Uh, Pete Snyder's uh, grandson um, or Pete Pete's. Um, spouse reached out to me because his grandson was working on something on the five second rule and the timing they saw my post about the five second rule when I was giving that talk in Hawaii. And so she reached out to me, um, about that. And so I've certainly, I've certainly done that. Um, uh, so a couple of reactions that occurred to me as you were talking and you were so, so energized and enthusiastic, and I'm going to sound like, uh, like Donnie Downer here. Yeah. yeah. Be be (laughs) Donnie Downer. Yeah. Like like, shadow me for a day. Oh, What's he doing? Uh, he's he's talking at his computer and he's answering emails, huh? Um, well, now he's now he's um, looking at a spreadsheet, huh? Um, now he's typing words into a word document, huh? Now now he's going through the references on a science paper and fixing the formatting. Wow, science looks really boring. <laughs> well, <laughs> so so that that's what it would look like if you were shadowing me, okay? Um, and then the other thing is that, and again, you know, I mean. Gosh, you know, kids that are doing science fair projects is fantastic. But very often, uh, it's it's kind of like, and I've told the story before about the the couple that contacted me that had a great idea um, for a product that was luminol except for food poisoning bacteria. Um, right, and right. They just need, yeah. they needed some help with the technical details, um, and it <laughs> like turns out it the work. technical details <laughs> that they needed were to turn um, their idea into something because all their idea was basically luminol except for bacteria. And that was, that was the extent of their idea. Right. Um, And and so, you know, all the rest is just details. (laughs) Um, And, and so often, um, you know, when, when a a high school student reaches out, they really, they have a great idea for a project, but they have no idea of the actual complexity needed to take that idea into something that is even remotely approximates that idea that they could even come close to doing in number one, the time that they have left between do it between now and when their project is due. And they have to be able to do it in a laboratory that is a high school science or a junior high school science laboratory. Right. And so they, they don't have, I mean, turns out, Ben, I don't know if you know, this science is complicated and it takes a long time. And, and sometimes you can do experiments that don't work out. Right. I mean, that's the, right. that's the, that's the, that's the most fun part of a, a new master student coming into my lab. And the first time they have to tell me that their experiments didn't work and they're so sure that I'm going to kick them out of the lab because their experiments didn't work. And I just laugh and I say, that's what everybody does the first time that you do experiments, right? Because you, you never, you know, even and this is somebody with an undergraduate degree, right? much less a high school student, somebody with an undergraduate degree that's had nothing but laboratory classes where someone, hopefully a TA has worked painstakingly to give them experiments that will actually work because they've been tested and, and all the, the bugs have been ironed out of them. Um, as opposed to doing your own brand new research where, um, it's just, um, you know, it's just, it's a mess because there's all sorts of things you hadn't thought about. So, so, the, uh, so I guess that, so I, I mean, and what, what I, what is much more low hanging fruit, which, which we'll get to on this podcast is what I would much rather hear is I'd much rather hear to listeners to this podcast who have a question <laughs> that I can answer, right. that I can do a little bit of Googling or I can, I can extemporaneously talk off the top of my head for 15, uh, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and, and, and add some value there. Um, and we don't have to actually go to the laboratory and do anything cause that's freaking hard. <laughs> well, and I, I guess that that's the part that I think 
I would have found more interesting. Mm-hmm. May, and maybe maybe not maybe maybe high school is too too early for this but that okay so so what you described in your day is this stuff seems boring or we might think that it seems boring to the outside but what might be interesting for someone is for us to explain why and how we're doing stuff right like so yeah i'm sitting sitting at my computer and i'm going through these references what is it that i'm looking for how how am i doing this what what are the um, experiences that I can share with someone to this point, um, that got me to this point, right? Like, like this, it's not just the expectation that, um, that, that it's all sort of flashy and, and lab coats, but, you know, kind of talking about the, the interest in learning and the interest in knowledge and the, 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 uh, the nuts and bolts of science, I think that just being able to share that it, we we might think it seems boring, but that I you know I think probably and this is no, not to um, say anything bad about our, uh, our our fabulous teachers that we that have, but a high school science class might also seem boring, right? Like this is because it's it's in the it, it's in the theoretical. It's like we're learning about some of these things and there's stuff here, but but let me go see how it actually works and it's slow and it's laborious and it doesn't work and. But when it when it does work, here are the here are the ways that it that you get these these jumps and the things that we get excited about. I kind of want to get I don't know. I want to be able to uh, show somebody that and and might not even work like it might not even come come to fruition in a day because the day that they show up, it's particularly like, you know, I'm looking at IAFP abstracts. But to be able to talk to somebody through that of like, well, here's what the process is and why do we have these abstracts and what is the end goal of, of going through this, this editing and, and how, do we, how did I learn how to do this and what am I, what's going to get presented in July and how, how, what are, what's all the work that needs to be done in between now and then? All that kind of stuff I think is um, it's worth telling the story. To, to someone who says, you know what, I'm, I'm really interested in the world of science. Yeah. And, and, and I, I get that, that same, uh, I, that, that same experience I have. So I have, um, visitors who come to my lab, either graduate students or, or essentially folks with PhDs that come to my lab to learn modeling or risk assessment. And they, a lot of times they show up and they're like, well, you know, give me the paper or give me the right. book that shows me how to do this. And I'm like, <laughs> there's not a paper, yep. there's not a book. Guess what? You are doing a brand new thing that does not, um, that does not correspond to anything else. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to give you some ideas and you're going to go do some things. And then you're going to come back to me after you bang your head against those things. Right. And then I'm going to give you some more advice and we're going to continue like that until the paper is done. And it is not, there isn't, but if it was easy, um, you know, you would have done it already, right? I would have given you a, a book or a template that you could follow. Um, and the other, the other thing too that that really, <clears throat> what what is really enjoyable to me, and this this came about because I was at a uh, a meeting yesterday, and uh, uh, we were I was just happened to be talking about writing buddies, and I and I got really excited because I talked about the um, my my observation. And I think I was the only one excited about that, that I discovered by analyzing data wrong, um, what, what I thought I was doing was counting up the number of hours I spent writing um, per month or per year. Um, and in fact, what I, 
it wasn't the number of hours that I spent for, per year. It was the number of times that I actually sat down to write. And when I reanalyzed the data and I counted up the number of hours that I spent per year, the graph, the numbers were slightly different, but the graph looked the same. And I had this, the, this realization that the more times that I actually sit down to write, the more I actually write. And the correlation, the R squared value between those two things was incredibly good. And so that what that means is that if I want to write more, all I have to do is tell myself, sit down and write. It doesn't matter for how long. It's just, it's the number of opportunities that you give yourself to write that result in the number of hours. It's not, it's not like I can wait and then one day a week, I'm going to sit down once <clears throat> And I'm going to write for eight hours, right? It's more like every day. If I sit down for 15 minutes, I might end up writing for 15 minutes. I might end up writing for five or I might end up writing for two hours if I've got the time and, and, and the mood hits and, and everything's just flowing, right? And so – but that but that observation, which seems so like banal, right, like that's right, so right. obvious um, – blew me away. And I never would have even made the observation if I hadn't analyzed the data in the wrong way and then realized it and then reanalyzed it and then and then discovered this correlation. And so to me, those are the exciting things about about science is making those discoveries. You know, and I've told the story, you know, many times about Yuan Chen coming into my office and, and showing me the the uh, percent transfer from one surface to another and realizing it was a skewed distribution. And because I'd spent the better part of the previous decade analyzing gr skewed growth curve, uh, skew skewed growth rate distributions where the growth rate is, 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 uh, uh, varies as a function of temperature that I knew what to do when I was presented with data that was obviously left skewed or right skewed, then I could put a, a, a stabilizing transformation on that. To me, like the, those kind of aha moments where you suddenly you're by, by just analyzing the data and looking at the data, you have this great realization. I mean, it would be fantastic to, for somebody to see that happen, but unfortunately those things are few and far between. So what you get are my stories about that. And then right. most of the time me sitting there and just crunching numbers on a spreadsheet and saying, yeah, well, you know, th there's, there's that number. Okay, good. What's the next number? I was doing that with writing some IFP abstracts because the, the person didn't, didn't have, I wrote the results in a way that I, I felt were not compelling enough. And so I had to go into the spreadsheets and just, you know, basically calculate some of my own numbers, um, um, which is boring as hell, but it made the abstract better. And there were, I, there were no aha moments, but you know what? I needed to do it because I needed to get the abstract edited so that it could get submitted. Right. Well, and, and to be able to provide that narrative, like, I mean, it all comes back to the, to the story, um, for, for me of, uh, of it. it, the work may not have been exciting, but the, the, like to be able to tell somebody why you're doing it and why, why leaving it the way that you saw it in the first place wasn't, wasn't where you wanted to leave it. Uh, right, right. That, and well, and that comes that comes from experience, right? right. Like, that, like I, I, every time I sit down to write an IAFP abstract, I immediately flash back to sitting on the IAFP program committee around a table with a bunch of people and calling out the bad aspects of the abstracts that we were reviewing. And and I and I can just I flash back to that all the time because that's just so useful in writing. It's like I'm going to change this because you know what? It from I know you did the work, but from the way you've written this, it looks like you might not have done the work. And so we're going to write it in a way that, that, that convinces the person who's looking at it, that you've definitely done this work and you've definitely collected this data and here's what it means. And here's the way we need to tell the story. And I know that from having, you know, seen the story not told well in the past. Right. Right. I, yeah, absolutely. And I think, 
So, I mean, just going back to, to where we started with this, I think that's the kind of thing that I want to, I want to share with others. Like, and that's part of what we do here on the podcast. Well, exactly. Yeah. But I think there's other thing, there's other ways to do it. Um, and the, those who are, I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want science to be unapproachable and I don't want the scientists to be unapproachable. And I think we've talked about the beauty of IAFP from a, um, a, a, you know, a noob, newbie kind of um, scientist, uh, undergraduate or graduate student, um, is that the things that I was reading about, I was able to go see those people who were doing it or the people that were part of it and be like, I really like this. Tell me more about it. And that uh, we, we need more. Uh, we need more people who do that than, than less. And I, I'm, I don't know if the, the world of like not believing in science is going to make less science scientists, or if this is just a, a thing that society deals with in every generation. And, you know, right now it's around climate change and vaccines. And, and before it was about like alchemy and, you know, turning, <laughs> turning chemicals into gold. But, um, but, but I, you know, the, the more people that we have out there questioning stuff and, and looking at data and if we can just, you know, inspire some others to look at it and in and, and do it. Um, we're we're only going to be better off for it. So, so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to try. I, I, once these kitchens are built, I'm going to have time on my hands, Don. I'm going to be <laughs> so you so you say so I say I'm going to so fill you keep it. saying I'm going to fill it with other things. I'm going to fill. I'm going to do other things. Um. So anyway, yeah. Thanks thanks for indulging my uh, uh, my thoughts on uh, bringing people into the world of science. Yeah, yeah. So should should we do some listener feedback? Yeah, let's start the show. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so let's. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do uh, reverse uh, chronological order here. Take the most recent feedback okay. first. So um, this uh, this comes uh, from um, uh, listener uh, Joe, who says uh, share all details freely. Um, uh, I th- I think uh, I-, I think we're gonna we're gonna make a break from our usual theme, uh, and and he's gonna be hot holding Joe. So. Um, uh, so hot holding Joe asks, um, uh, uh, oh, I love your podcast. It was turned on to a friend. I was turned on to it by a friend about a year ago and I've learned so much. So, so that's, first of all, that's the, that's the key to writing good listener feedback is open with a comment about how much you love the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he says my, my biggest learnings come from, uh, how subjective certain areas are and how arbitrary numbers aren't exactly science. And that's like that we've done our job, right? Like, cause we, that's, that's been a, a cornerstone of the show. Um, and so his, his question is, and I don't think we've talked about it too much, um, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. He says, my question pertains to holding temperatures for food, specifically buffet-style food. Assuming that all hot items were cooked or reheated correctly, is it right to say that all items must remain above 140 Fahrenheit at holding temperatures? Is this fair to play? Is is this fair to place items like mac and cheese, broccoli, baked potatoes, and fried foods at the same holding temperatures as proteins? And then he writes uh, parenthetically, I find it hard to believe things like pizza, including delivery, arrive at above 140. And so this is absolutely something that I've been thinking about a lot lately because of the Conference for Food Protection Committee that I'm, I'm currently um, serving on. Um, 
I think, first of all, it's important to point out that the hot holding temperature differs from state to state according to the state code. So, for example, in New Jersey, it's 140, but the FDA model model food code says 135. And in fact, there are other states where the temperature is 135. So first of all, to to Joe's earlier point, it's arbitrary, right? Or it's not, it's not arbitrary, but but it's not, but it's not, there's not like one correct number, right? Um, and then also I will say that the food code has a provision for food that's being held out of temperature control. So in other words, if a food starts off at 140 and then it comes out of temperature control, uh, I believe what the food code says is that you have, uh, four hours before that food has to be consumed. Now, uh, a lot of the food out of temperature control relates to cold foods and it turns out that, uh, based on some calculations that, that I've done, which I'll talk about in a minute, there's a difference between cold foods that come out of control and hot foods that come out of control. Um, uh, and, and so, and let's talk for a minute about pizza. Okay. So obviously pizza is not being held at 140 the entire time from, you know, the, the pizza place until your house, right? It's, it's probably even not even at 140 when it leaves the pizza place. Um, um, as one of the things that I think we talked about on the podcast is we, is a pizza is a food that, that we in my lab often find out of temperature control when we inspect university dining halls, but it very seldom has high levels of bacteria. And that has to do with the way it's prepared. It has to do with the nature of the ingredients, et cetera. And I've got a, um, a, um, graduate student who's working on that for, uh, for her master's thesis. So we'll uh, hopefully at some point we'll have a publication on this, but um, so pizza is a relatively low risk food, but, um, to, to take it back to trying to figure out the answer to your question, I would be most concerned about microorganisms like Bacillus cereus and Clostridium perfringens. And, th- and the reason why is that th- those two organisms are spore formers and the cooking process, which you would get to, you heated a food to 140 or above, uh, triggers those spores to germinate. And then those organisms start growing. And we know that Clostridium perfringens is potentially a problem in hot foods that are cooled too slowly. And we, we've seen a number of outbreaks. Uh, I do a lot of work for the meat industry with cooling deviations where they have a cooked meat product that doesn't cool fast enough. Uh, we had a uh, recent outbreak uh, linked to a church supper where uh, per product was uh, temperature uh, hot, hot uh, turkey, uh, probably uh, turkey was was improperly cooled and it got a bunch of people sick. And I think even some people, uh, people that were uh, elderly might have died from that. So it was pretty, pretty bad news. Um, the uh, I, I did a little bit more in-depth analysis uh, when I served on a uh, conference for a food protection committee on on hot holding and uh, basically did uh, sort of a quick and dirty quantitative microbial risk assessment, basically looking at the distribution of hot holding temperatures, um, the fact that um, hot held foods often have um, evaporative cooling going on. And so you have a surface temperature on the hot food and then you have an interior temperature. Um, It turns out that if you do a little bit of more in-depth analysis, the, the differential between surface and internal temperatures is um, uh, less different for liquid foods, and it's much more significant for solid foods, which kind of makes sense. Um, you can do uh, some some growth rate calculations for uh, Clostridium perfringens and Bacillus cereus, and as I uh, uh, alluded to, or as I, I didn't allude to, but I'll, but I'll mention now, um, perfringens probably constitutes the higher risk uh, than Bacillus, just because uh, it seems to grow 
grow a little bit faster at those higher temperatures. Um, and yeah, it turns out that um, it's complicated, right? I mean, the, the bottom line is it's, it's, it's really complicated and it really depends upon what your assumptions are. What's the, what's the time that you're going to hold the food out? Um, what are the characteristics of the food? How much does evaporative cooling go on? And, and really, I think the and I don't, it's been a few years um, since we had that uh, discussion at CFP, but um, I think it really surrounded around the fact that, well, we have this distribution of temperatures that are being held hot. If we lower that, like, let's say the food code says 130, 135, what if we lower it to 130? Well, yeah, 130 itself might be safe, but because there's, there's uh, variability around whatever that number is, as you drop the, whatever you drop that, that number to, and the me, if the mean moves to that number, the tails are going to move down below that number. And at some point you get into some significant risk. So, um, but, but anyway, to come back to, to, to Joe's question, um, yeah, the food doesn't essentially have to be at one, it's not like if it's at 140, it's safe. And if it's at 139, it's unsafe, right? It really is about time and temperature. And again, you've probably got, uh, several hours, um, depending upon the, the nature of the food, but, but certainly, um, some foods, um, you know, you don't want to leave them out for sure overnight, uh, as we've mentioned before on the podcast. So anyway, that's my, that's my long ramble on hot holding. Well, that's good. So I, this always makes me want to know more about what it looks like elsewhere because you think we just um you and i because we live in the u.s um default to here here's what the food code is because i and I, I think it's um there there are lots of reasons one being i think it's the most highly referenced food safety document i can find and although the numbers aren't um i, I think arbitrary might be um too much well maybe arbitrary is there there's the risk aspect of the numbers isn't always built in. And so I'm always like what, what this piece of feedback from hot holding Joe made me think about was, all right, so we, we look at 135 in the food code, there's 140 in some States. What about other countries? And, um, I, I didn't know this until I started digging and, and there's going to be some listeners from the UK who knew this, um, who are going to look poorly upon us because, um, we, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, British crime dramas. Um, but Don, did you know that hot holding in the UK is 145 F? So, uh -huh. so, so we've got a 135 and 140 might be better than 135 and 145 might be better than 140 or one, 135, but we don't really, um, I, 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 that the difference in the temperatures and the decision, the risk management decision-making is the part that I, I think sometimes is arbitrary. The, the other piece on this, as I start digging on cold holding, um, the food standards agency that sets guidance um, for, for restaurants, the cold holding temperature is 8 degrees Celsius. So, so that seems real high. Real high. Um, so that's, uh, for those who, uh, who don't speak uh, uh, Celsius, that's almost 47 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and so – Wow, it's like a whole like different kind of kind of world, right? Like so, so we can give the um, we we can give the story on here's what it says in the food code, and here's why it says that because it's well justified in those references. But I find I, I'm finding a hard time figuring out how the temperatures were decided on in in the UK, and and whether um, 
you know, to go back to your comment of, okay, so say we drop it down to 130, that we have more variability. Is 145 just a way of saying, well, let's take all the variability out of it um, and make it much, much hotter than it needs to be by 10 degrees Fahrenheit or um, whatever it is uh, in Celsius, like uh, six degrees Celsius. It's pretty wild, right? Like yeah. that's, that's yeah. a way different number. Yeah, absolutely. Way, way different. And again, it just shows that, you know, there's science and then there's policy and the, the way that you connect the science to the policy, you make different assumptions or different risk management decisions and you end up with different, uh, different, different answers. Right. And, and it comes back to something that you said way early on in this podcast that it sticks with me uh, all the time where, um, it, it was a conversation about log reductions and sort of this standard of five log reductions and then five log, well, six logs got to be better than five and seven yep. logs better than six, Yep. but how much better, right? Right. Like how about much, an order of magnitude, <laughs> right? Right. Exactly. How much, what does that mean for risk? Well, well it, it doesn't, it, we, yeah, we don't, we don't draw that line, right? Because there, there are lots of other input parameters that, that we're not, uh, talking about. And so, so this one, it's like, yeah, I mean, hot holding at 180 degrees Fahrenheit would be better than 135, but how much better? I probably not much better, right? Like probably not in a way that it actually reduces public health risk. Right. And, 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 and then there's going to be quality trade-offs. There's certainly where it's going to be nutritional trade-offs. And so yep. now you're starting to degrade nutrients. Um, you know, you could say, well, instead of raising the temperature, what if we could, um, be better design hot holding equipment so that there, we reduced evaporative cooling or we, we, we reduced the variability. Um, and so that there'd be less extremes between the, 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 the coldest and the hottest of hot holding, right? There's lots of different ways that we can, we can look at it. Yes, I just spilled a bunch of water. <laughs> oh, not on your computer, I hope. Well, no, pretty close to my computer. Oh, dear. So, I, But fortunately, I have like nine rolls of paper towel. Um, so I was uh, panicking I, yeah, while, we were, uh, while we were chatting there. Uh, I think I've got it, I've got it taken, taken care of here. You can hear there's the foley of uh, a little, little bit of water all over my, my floor. Well, it's okay because a, a little while ago they had the foley of uh, my dog uh, going uh, uh, barking crazy. So I liked it. I like it. I I now have wet feet. <laughs> I dropped a bunch, a bunch of water. I've been I've been really trying to drink more water. Have I told you this? No. Yeah, and and it's so so. I'm gonna give you some insight. The reason why I'm trying to drink more water is because um, you know one of these. Uh, um, fully scientific things that you see on the internet about the color of your pee and the cloudiness oh, uh -huh. of pee and, uh -huh. and how that correlates directly to your, to your dehydration. And, and, and so, um, there are times where I drink a lot of coffee and drink a lot of diet Coke and, and other things that I have really like, um, I, my, my pee doesn't look like it's real healthy. So I, I, I only asked Danny for two things for Christmas. Um, one was a water bottle that was small enough that was also like non um, – it wouldn't pick up the odors and the flavors of whatever was in it that it could stick in my bag that I take everywhere. So because, you know, you go give a talk and sometimes there's water there and sometimes there's not. And, and I wanted to just have a this this like vessel that I could take with me. 
I know it sounds so so exciting. So that was that was item number one. The other item was I needed a new shaker to make margaritas with, um, and so I received both of those things for for Christmas. And I'm I've been really good at this at bringing this this water bottle. It's a um, I got it at REI, and it's a micro light, and it had really really great reviews. And people talked about how the stainless never. Um, you know, over time never degrades. If you put water in it or other things, it doesn't start to pick up those flavors, all that stuff. Um, and then I, so I had it and I was just about to drink some water out of it. And then I dropped it all over my desk. Now, which, uh, which micro light do you have? Cause I see there's the, uh, 500, there's the 720. Yep. I there's got the, the 500. I got okay. The, oh, I got, it's cause you wanted a little, one. I wanted a little one. I don't, I don't, I don't need the fat boy. I just, no, I want, I want the little man. Um, <laughs> I want the little man in my bag and it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's nice and thin, um, and it fits. I, I have this um, mountain equipment co-op um, courier bag, so that's a Canadian. That's the Canadian REI, uh, and it, um, it it has these little like dead ends at the at either side where uh, this bottle fits perfectly into it. So I actually took this is the this is the chaos of. Uh, of my my thought process, I actually took my courier bag to REI and started putting bottles in it to make sure that it fit the yeah. way that I wanted it to. And and but I felt like I needed to tell the people that were that worked there that I wasn't shoplifting. Shoplifting, exactly. Right? Like, that was for my first thought. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna like, and they just look at you like you're a crazy person, right? I'm like, hey, I'm gonna take my bag over here and I want to make sure that these bottles fit because I have a very like very specific parameters of what I'm looking for. And like the, the guy with the handlebar mustache and the newsboy um, hat that was behind the desk was like, what, what are you doing? I'm like, I just wanted to let you know that I'm doing this. So it doesn't look like I'm shoplifting. And he's like, Oh, okay. Are you uh, all right? And I'm like, right. The, where the bottle display was is right beside the counter. So anyway, this is the, um, I've been drinking way more water. It's been good. I have, I, I've now given a couple of guest lectures where I've had my own water with me. Um, and not like, I mean, everything's working out until the point where I, um, now have very wet feet from dropping the water bottle in my, uh, my desk and it all pouring all over my feet. Well, you know, uh, looking at this on the REI website, it does have a lid, Ben. Oh, well, see the, the lid works. And again, this was part of the, the, the particular, so the lid doesn't have a spout. I didn't want no, that because right, they're going to leak, right? right? Yep, I want this yep. is a vacuum sealed yep. lid to everything that I wanted, and so what I didn't do correctly was pick it up by not the lid, um, by the body of the vessel. I picked it up um, by the lid, and the lid wasn't fully on. Fully I on. Just yep. I just had consumed some of it. So now for li our listeners who most certainly want to know, um, what color did you get? I got a blue. I got a blue. Yeah, I got like a navy. Uh, I, I don't know, like a cadet blue. Oh. Is that yeah, it's a, a bright. It's a bright blue. It is a, a bright. A, yeah. yeah, it's it's a, um, it's it. I guess it's it's muted. It's not like um, it, it's somewhere in between navy and um, sky blue, in that in that area. It's not the it's not Skype blue. That's for sure. It's yeah, darker, it's darker. No, I would. I, I think that's what you call a royal blue. Maybe it's a royal blue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not. It's not a sky blue, and it's not a navy blue. It's a bright. It's a bright blue. It is. Bright, it is bright royal blue. Um, yeah. Uh, so, it's a royal. So just, you're right. You're right. It's just, <laughs> just to cr close the uh, loop on hot holding and CFP. Uh, that was a report that was presented at the 2010 CFP. Um, 
There's not a way to link to the exact report, but we will, I will link to the 2010 uh, CFP meeting page in show notes, and you can dig down in and find out more about hot-holding recommendations of that committee. I, I, think my, I think my risk assessment kind of confused them, and I don't know if it actually made it into the final report. I'm not going to look now, but um, anyway, I, I still remember doing it, and I, I still have thoughts of someday like dusting that off and writing that up for something or other because I think it's a nice piece of work. So anyway – so cool. it goes. Cool, cool, um, cool. Right. So um, let's see. What else would you like to talk about? All right. So we have just some follow-up from a few episodes ago. Um, uh, a listener sent us some links um, about the um, uh, um, uh, situation that happened in um, Kansas City about – well, sorry. This is home, This is St. Louis about feeding people who are um, homeless. And so it, what triggered this was the incident that happened in Kansas City where uh, some local environmental health officers um, got rid of some food that was being provided to uh, homeless folks in a, um, in a park. And so some follow-up, I guess, on this is that there's a federal lawsuit that's been filed over attempts to feed St. Louis homeless um, individuals. And it's pretty fascinating. I don't know if you if you had a chance to um, to look at this, but it I did was, not. So so it's it, it really is about it's. Um, let me see if I can find the sort of best coverage of this. It, it, it's re, it was really about an individual who was a, like a a pastor who um, received a fine for feeding the homeless, and then. It, it fought, like the lawsuit is about uh, being able to uh, challenge this from a good Samaritan standpoint. And um, the, the idea is that it's a human rights violation, um, uh, the, this fining and the focusing on the, the individuals is, um, is because they are, and I'll, I'll give the, um, something directly out of the, the uh, quote or out of the lawsuit. The real reason for the city's actions is to funnel homeless people towards parts of town where their existence will be less noticeable. Um, and the uh, uh, pastor who um, – uh, well, the lawyer who represents the, uh, the pastor uh, basically says that the city doesn't crack down on barbecues, uh, church potlucks, tailgates, parents bringing snacks for school kids, or any other numerous occasions where people publicly share food. Uh, made in uninspected kitchens without a permit, um, and so the, this the the idea behind this is is much more political than it is public health. And so anyway, with this, more of uh, you know someone who who listens to us shared it with us uh, as a as an FYI that these um, these proceedings are going on. Yeah, and and uh, they were kind enough to give us several uh, links, and so uh, we'll we'll post those uh, those links in the show notes. So uh, next next bit of uh, listener feedback, um, uh, and this is from a listener who says uh, – whose name is Chase and says, uh, please share all details freely. Um, uh, we'll call him uh, Deep, uh, Deep Towel Tongue. <laughs> um, so, so Chase uh, very nicely sends us a, a link to something on the website – uh, Imgur, I think, imgur.com, which is where you share images. And basically it's a couple of paper towel dispensers, uh, in a bathroom that are the, I think they're the motion activated 
activated kind, but essentially they ha have already been activated. Uh, and so they basically have these, uh, what I would describe as paper towel tongues sticking out of the, um, out of the towel dispensers. And it kind of looks like actually the, looks like a, a weird one eyed or, or a blinking, uh, blinking black faced, um, uh, thing with a, with a, a, a brown uh, tongue towel sticking out in my imagination, um, and um, and his question, which is a, which is actually a, a pretty good question, he says, um, "How much should someone worry about this setup for the towels?" At my, my local movie theater has these paper towel dispensers that spit out the next bit, so you don't have to wait. They're about 10 feet away from urinals and toilets. Wouldn't it be better not letting particles settle there by waiting for the motion to unroll? And, and yeah, I mean, and I, I do like these motion-activated paper towel dispensers. Um, and, and sometimes they, they malfunction. And so I guess in the instance where you would have to physically touch something with your hands, it's better that the towel already be dispensed. But, um, I, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not – I mean, we, we, there have been studies about the microbiological quality of public restroom air. Um, I, I don't know if we can find them. I can find them quickly enough to link to them, but that is certainly – it's a, certainly a theoretical risk. Um, I think the overall risk is probably relatively low. It would be a better design that the towel only dispense the, – the, this dispenser only dispense the towel when it's motion activated. Um, uh, but again, in the grand scheme of things, I think it's a relatively small risk. The towels – are hanging straight down, and so you'd have to have basically a, a particle come a, kind of come in via air currents from the side instead of you know because they're not they're not um, uh, oriented uh, horizontally they're essentially oriented uh, vertically so probably not an optimum design but in the grand scheme of things I think uh, and it, I didn't put this in my message uh, to the listener but probably the risks from drying your hands and getting them completely dry. Uh, are going to be mitigate would would more than offset any risks from contamination on the towels. I would say, but again, I haven't done any research on this. So, uh, do you have any thoughts? No, I just wanted to follow up with something that we talked about um, back in episode one sixty six, the one we did at Geneseo, mm -hmm. um, where uh, we talked a little bit about it, lifting the lid on uh, the a paper. Uh, called Lifting the Lid on Toilet Plume Aerosol, a literature review with suggestions for re future research. So we'll link ah. to that um, in show notes uh, as well. And, yeah, I mean, I think it, it hits on um, the the uh, questions that you uh, just raised a little bit. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Um, all right. This is This is always – this is a good one. Um, and this one comes from Deep Weed, which is one of my favorite <laughs> favorite uh, names uh, of all time. Um, hello, Doctors Don and Ben. I was enjoying having the two parts of your holiday special podcast back to back after my own holiday absence from being able to listen to podcasts. It got to the part about growing leafy greens in sea containers and the, quote, worry-free nature of hydroponic growing. Let's just say I was very excited to have discussions so close to my wheelhouse. This is perhaps not very helpful listener feedback for an audio format show, but below are two fun items for my work. Uh, please don't share them publicly, as there are some faces and badges in the image. Uh, and so we're, we're just going to describe them. Uh, picture one is simply an image of our work gr on growing leafy greens using hydroponics. Let me tell you, even if your process doesn't involve the outdoors or questionable inputs, if you're not worried about chemicals, 
a useless term, pesticides, bugs, and microbes. You don't know enough about your own risks. It's a bit of a nightmare, as Ben has alluded to in the show on the show. And so this goes back to uh, a couple episodes ago when we were talking about um, the romaine outbreak, a uh, romaine linked outbreak that uh, uh, producers, I think, in the Atlanta, Georgia area, said, "Hey, don't worry about." Um, uh, you know, buying your leafy greens from California, buy them from us. They are worry-free. It's all hydroponic, so there's no way that we can have any foodborne illness contamination. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that was kind of what the message was. And so Deep Weed says, um, hey, there's a lot of potential um, for, uh, for contamination. A movie number two is a fun example of what we've done with clean rooms. And uh, uh, Deep Weed puts in parentheses, not sterile, in sea containers. The roots, so to speak, of the cannabis industry show a little bit when we look for innovative ways to make space. Um, and so this is – I don't know if you had a chance to look at the um, – at, at these um, – at the video. And I did. The picture. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, and so I'll uh, – let me rerun it here just to um, remind myself. So these these sea containers are – uh, you know, are large. Like they're the kinds of things that you would think of um, seeing in uh, from The Wire season two, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, where it was exactly. all about uh, stealing off sea containers. And um, they are like, it, you open up the sea container and inside the sea container is like a room with a laboratory in it. It's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Uh, so anyway, thanks to, uh, to deep weed for sharing things with us. Um, and then on the, I'll go back to the, um, to the picture. It's like, uh, um, I mean, a, a room that is set up hydroponically and using, um, either synthetic or some sort of blocks, um, with the, uh, with the cannabis. But I mean, I don't think it would be too out of the ordinary for us to, and for, you know, deep, we can, I'm sure confirm this to, if you started looking for pathogens of, uh, food board and concern, maybe listeria, maybe pathogenic E. coli, maybe salmonella, it wouldn't be too out of the realm of possibility that, that they could be there and that they would absolutely be, if they were introduced, they would they would persist just based on you know. There's nothing magical about the hydroponic system. Yep. So cool, cool, cool. Um. Next up, um, this one is. Oh yeah, yeah. This is a good one. Uh, this one is zombies. Uh, so this came, came from, uh, someone, um, who says, uh, share all de- details freely. Uh, so I think we can do that. I think this is, yeah. from uh, Kathleen Simmons, uh, at a, at a group called, uh, we're not, well, we shouldn't say the name cause we good, don't want to give any publicity. Good, good, good call. Good call. So, uh, the message is hi, I've not heard from you, so I'll take the hint and leave you alone. But if you do want to fix the broken link, here are the details. And so it's a repost of um, uh, a broken link that we have. I noticed you have a broken link to an emergency section of CDC. 
on this page, your site, the information looks to have moved somewhere else. Whilst making this update, could you also take a look at one of our guides, which will supplement this information, maybe include a link. Our guide to disaster recovery for businesses covers the various aspects of planning, analysis, and execution of business should go through to prepare for emergency situations. I understand business continuity and emergencies is a secondary consideration, but that being said, it's still important. So I think the funniest part about this is that the link that we linked to was to CDC's link of zombies, which was a social media <laughs> campaign of preparedness, but preparing for a zombie apocalypse. And right, so- which which to- which totally blew up on social media. It got CDC a lot of good press. It was a really it was a really nicely nicely done thing. And and basically, this is just this is just the message from a company that is. Uh, goes out around the web uh, looking for broken links that relate to their business model and trying to get you to like look at their website and find out about their stuff. And, you know, I went and I fixed the link. So <laughs> thanks for that. Um, and we'll, we'll relink to the current site for, uh, if you zombies. just Google, if you just Google CDC zombies, the, the site comes right up. So, um, but we'll relink to that because it's just a really nice piece of social media from CDC. And, and I don't want to give this company any publicity, but you know, whatever, that's fine. I mean, you got to have a business model and, you know, you can send us email, but um, I'm not going to reply and let no. um, Catherine know that I don't want to hear from her again. I'm just not going to reply because no. I don't care to promote uh, her company. So, you know, right. that's the way it goes. Well, but but I, CDC and zombies, I will totally promote that. Absolutely. And I, I wonder if um, when Kathleen looked at the zombie uh, web, broken link that she had invested time in, when she said – she cites a couple of things here. According to FEMA, 40% of businesses don't reopen after a disaster. Does that include a zombie disaster? Or like are we, are we talking about just natural disasters? I'm, I am uh, – I'm interested if anyone out there has – and maybe this is something we can ask CDC. Um, after a zombie apocalypse, are we really looking at like 60% of businesses just getting back to normal once the disaster passes? Uh, or, uh, is it, is it higher? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe we should, maybe we should follow up with, uh, Catlin, um, and ask her, <laughs> you, I, well, you know, and does her, does her, does her guide to disaster recovery for businesses cover zombie apocalypse? Cause honestly, if it doesn't, I, you know, I don't think, I don't think our listeners are really interested. Oh yeah. True. True. And, and I think we have to go back to, um, to our standing, uh, question of when we get invited to things, will there be ninjas? <laughs> will there be zombies? The, will be the yeah? Will there be zombie ninjas or or zombies? Uh, and how how well will your will your ninja business fare after the zombie apocalypse? Oh, oh wow! Well. Um, all right. So um, um, moving moving forward um, a little bit. So we talked about um, a, a story that ESPN ran about food safety uh, at. Um, uh, at restaurants, uh, not restaurants, at stadiums, and there was, and uh, we'll we can go back and link to show notes. But if you want to listen to our full discussion on this, go back and listen to the last episode. Basically, there was an uh, they used an, an incident of an outbreak that happened as an explainer, as an uh, as an example, and explaining why this was um, important. But the 
the data, the data, and I put that in Richard Fingers, the information that they presented in the, in the article doesn't really match up with the science of what might have caused this outbreak and, um, and, and, and the timing. So it was like, it's norovirus, but everybody got sick like four hours after they ate the food. So anyway, we talked a little bit about that. And, and someone who, um, who uh, was, let's say, adjacent to this story contacted us. So this person is a listener. Yes. And they are an infectious disease epidemiologist, but they were never contacted by ESPN. Sorry. About this story. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yes, that is correct. They were not contacted about it. They were, con- yes, they, they just happened to be adjacent to some other things. That yes, that, yeah. that's good. Uh, you could fix that in post. Yeah, yeah. They talked about stuff and things. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so, so I do, I do want to, now that we've uh, de-identified uh, the listener, um, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the list, here's some stuff that the listener writes. I'm always sensitive about assigning, assigning blame without evidence in FBI, uh, FBI investigations. Not, in my, not Federal Bureau of Investigation. <laughs> investigation, right. Foodborne illness investigation. This is the other NRA. Mm. Um, yes, in foodborne illness investigations. I wish people wouldn't use that, but anyway, in, in foodborne illness investigations, we've had a few outbreaks at festivals um, like, uh, you know, the best burger in XYZ or the best clam chowder in ABC. And in doing interviews like this with ill folks, it always amazes me. This is now the epidemiologist. It always amazes me how many people quote, know exactly, end quote, what made them sick and how different things are on that list when you put them all together after doing 50 or 100 interviews. He had at least uh, 20 people that said it was definitely X that made me sick. And in the end, it was none of those 20 different things, right? So he interviewed dozens of people. Everybody said it was definitely this. um, And there were 20 different thises. And in the end, what the epidemiology showed is it wasn't, in fact, any of those things. Um, And and again, he has a critique of the ESPN story, which he was not contacted about and had nothing to do with. No one contacted (laughs) this individual. No one one from ESPN contacted anybody. But he has an opinion about the ESPN story, and he said I, he he wishes, and I think it's a good a good point, um, that they would tease apart the stories of people saying I got food poisoning after eating at the stadium from those that where you can directly attribute potential illness to the food or the food handling there. And again, as he says, as we know, as you Ben, you and I know, in many cases the true cause may have been something that was consumed well before they got to the stadium, um, or it might not have been foodborne illness at all. So anyway, um, so thanks for the positive feedback um, um, listener um, um, who's an epidemiologist um, uh, for giving us your perspective on this. I think that, again, and as I said in my response to him, um, we neither Ben nor I are epidemiologists, but we love to talk about it. And and we I think we appreciate the difficulties of being an epidemiologist. And, and I love the fact that epidemiologists listen to the show and and will write in um, uh, to us when they have opinions. So so thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. All right, so we we come to the to the true meat of the uh, of the, the nut of of the episode. There are two the things nut, I want to talk meat. about: the nut yes. meat, of the, and these are both in our wheelhouse of things that I think we we both get excited about right now. And and it really has to do with the <laughs> politics of the world of food safety and politics in general. Um, and, and so so here's here's the question, um, and, and it is in feedback. 
Uh, and, and the question comes from you, a listener. I, I, first, first time caller, a uh, long time participant in the show, Don Schaffner <laughs> writes, writes, uh, deep, deep shaft writes, serious question. Would you join the current administration in some food safety capacity at Benjamin Chapman topic for next episode? Question mark. And this comes out of, um, uh, a tweet, well, a tweet from ABC news, but it was, uh, um, an interview with a retired Army General Stanley McChrystal, who said, if asked, he wouldn't join the Trump administration because it's, quote, important to work, important for me to work for people <laughs> who are basically honest. honest. Uh, so, so, so um. you, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, for those who don't follow either of us on Twitter and only get all of your food safety talk information uh, from the podcast, I did answer this very um, quickly uh, ver, uh, via Twitter, which was, I uh, do not hold a, a U.S. citizenship, and I don't think I'm actually eligible to work for the administration because of that. So, no, I, I would not. Um, and and to which uh, point that you responded of, that seemed like a cop-out, um, <laughs> so, something along those lines. So, so I think the answer... I mean, I know the answer to this uh, for me right now is is no. I don't think I would. I don't. I don't think I would because I think that um, b- the environment and uh, let let me let me step back and and not be super partisan on this. Um, either way, I think being in a highly political position in a science advisory um, spot. At any administration, because of the toxic um, uh, discussion and uh, a- and partisan situation that's happening, not just in the U.S. but all over the the world right now um, around science, I don't think it would be an area that I would want. It's not a challenge that I would want to take um, because it's uh, if you if you are. And I'll use one of the the quotes that's been used a lot in in the last couple of years. If you are one of the adults in the room, um, it seems like you don't want to be just like the only adult in the room. It's like you don't want um, to be the best house in a on a really terrible street, right? Like you you have no you can't you can't win on resale. And right. and, and and secondly. So say there is a flash of ability to change something there, the the other side, whoever the other side is, is so against no matter what the policy is, um, rightfully or wrongfully, and for the most part, it's it's right and from my perspective, um, you're in a no-win situation. I, I'm in I would see it as a no-win situation. I don't I don't think that I and I, I commend I mean, there's one person who may listen to the podcast or has at least heard of the podcast, Frank Giannis, um, I, and and then someone who probably has never heard of the podcast, uh, but I think is doing a good job at FDA in the public discussion, even around the furlough aspect, Scott Gottlieb. I think these two individuals, they're up for the challenge that I'm not up for, um, and I wouldn't I, – I, I would be I, – I feel like I would be frustrated no matter what. Um, so, so I don't, I don't think I would take that job and I don't think it's I mean, just to be clear, it's not actually being offered to me, um, correctly you know, <laughs> right now, currently. Right. Well, and, and we should also mention Mindy Brashears, right? So yeah, Mindy right, Brashears right. is a food safety person that travels in our same circles. We both know her professionally. Um, and she's hired to head up food safety for FSIS, um, and basically went through Senate confirmation. So, um, yeah, so 
yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, obviously I don't think, I don't think either of us would ever be in a position to be a political appointee, but certainly, you know, uh, we could eventually be bureaucrats working um, in FDA or USDA. I've certainly entertained the the thought, but um, yeah, I don't know if I if I was if I was asked and I thought I could do some good, I think I would go. But then I guess the question is, you know, would I have um, who's who who's the 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 Scaramucci right? Uh, what's the what's the shortest amount of time? <laughs> I might I might set a new Scaramucci. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, show tied up, done. <laughs> Who's the Scaramucci? Um, yeah. It, so, but, but this, this actually raises, I'm going to pivot Don a uh-huh. little bit because we did talk a little bit about this around Chipotle, maybe three years oh, ago. Oh yeah. 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 Sure. It's, it's the same kind of question, right? So, so if you, it, the, the Chipotle or, or somewhere else, so a place that's had terrible, um, food safety records, um, been linked to lots of outbreaks, they call you up and say, we want you to come work for us. Leave your job at Rutgers. Leave your job at NC State. Come fix our problem. I might be more likely to be up, up for that um, job, that, that challenge, but it comes with some promises of how much power do I have and how many resources do I have behind me. And, and what I fear in, a, in, a, in the current administration situation um, from a you know from the federal agency standpoint, I don't think anybody can answer that question truthfully, right? Like, how much power do I have today versus where? What is the administration going to do tomorrow? And at least in a, I, I I feel like in an industry standpoint, there there is a less from speaking with our friends in who work for the food industry. Although you can be bought and sold from a, you know, your, your company can be bought and sold and, and mergers and redundancies and, and that kind of stuff can happen. There's usually some sort of a philosophy of here's what, here's how we do things here at the company. Some sort of, some sort of culture that is, that I think from the outside, from my standpoint right now is more consistent than what I would expect in the current political administration. So I would be more likely to take that position with some assurances on, yeah, I'm going to have resources to to try and fix things. You're asking me to fix it. I'm happy to come fix it, but I, I need some sort of backing. I need some sort of um, uh, some some sort of resource allotment to do so. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's that's that would be a, obviously a part of uh, any taking any new job, right. right? Whether you went to another university or uh, or to uh, industry or to government is like, well, okay, you're hiring me to do this thing. Um, what, uh, what what what's the what's my incentive? So right, right, right. And I love my current job. It's I'm pretty much unlikely to go anywhere else. Yeah, I I I I think uh yeah, I think that there's a lot to recommend my current job to me as well. So <laughs> <laughs> you might all right. So what so did I touch on anything that you wouldn't like that that I that you would would have done differently that you would say differently on on that? Like if you're you're posed with that same question, do you go? Like, I I I I think I would give it more consideration than than you would. Yeah, yeah I I would. I, I would give it serious consideration, even with the current administration, um, just because I feel like I, I've, I, I guess it comes down to 
I guess I'm either I have an optimistic bias or I have overconfidence in my own abilities. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's, those are and those are very closely related but different. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I also I also believe that it is entirely possible that I would I would I would, you know, I would I would set a, a new Scaramucci. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was 10 days by the way. He worked as White House Director of Communication for 10 days from July 21st to July 31st, 2017. So, oh, that's awesome. Um Cool. Uh, all right. So the last thing I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. is something that, that I, you and I have had some conversations offline and uh, tweeted quite a bit, and you've retweeted some stuff, is I guess the impacts, the, the question about how does this, the government shutdown impact food safety today? And you shared some stuff that, that you said. It, it's funny. I think you. this is where you're your op- your uh, bias shows. You're like, well, here's some mundane things. As an editor of a journal, um, I count on federal individuals to contribute to um, the the review process and, and how we move science forward. And those individuals aren't here anymore. And to me, that's as equally as exciting as any of the other things. Like that's that's part of the sausage making of science. Um, uh, some of the stuff that that I I talked about. Um, when I've been asked this question and it's come up three or four times now from, from different, um, different journalists is, you know, the, there, Paul Krugman wrote a little bit about this and, um, there was, uh, I think it was in the Washington post. There was an article about this, like Gottlieb, Scott Gottlieb was quoted as saying, we're, we have, um, we run into some budget issues when it comes to our, inspectors so there there are routine inspections that aren't happening and that really quickly snowballs into oh my gosh no one you know food is unsafe so food is terribly unsafe because there are no inspectors and the the line that i, I as i've thought about this and, and responded to it the line that i'm really trying to highlight to people is inspectors are part of the system they're an extremely important part of it, but they are are really not tasked with making sure food is safe. They're uh, they're checks and balance. They the people that that make food are the people that make food safe. Um, and and you and I um, uh, can support those individuals, and we can help them with technical information. Of the federal government can uh, set up guide guidelines and inspect to those guidelines. They can also provide support uh, in the sense of uh, technical support and, and interpretation of regulation. But, but ultimately, food safety lies with the people that make the food and make the decisions on, on what goes into the food and how that food's handled. And so I've been really careful to answer this question of saying, the food today right now is probably as safe or as less least safe as it was before the shutdown because we've missed a few routine inspections. But not every place um, over the last 24 days or whatever it is would have received a routine inspection, and, and they may fire back up in time for when their scheduled routine inspection would have been, would have been happening anyway. So, so I don't think effectively we've seen, um, seen issues when it comes to FDA um, inspectors, but there is a real impact in all the other things that FDA does that isn't that that aren't as sexy as inspections, 
and and that is this subject matter expertise, the um, someone who is dealing with a recall, trying to get um, a sense of what risks are there from FDA as a as an agency who's regulating them, uh, sharing information from FDA to state and local um, uh, agencies, uh, outbreak investigations. These things are all. Um, over time, the longer the the shutdown goes on, the lo- longer those those government uh, employees are out, that that will start to erode the safety of food. It's just not it's just not right away. And and we we you and I um, and a couple others have had some Twitter and text conversations about how USDA FSIS is being impacted by this. And and, and I I had some some information from a meeting I was at last week that that. Business is, uh, is, quote, going as, uh, you know, business as usual. And um, while practically that may be the case, because inspections are still happening, the individuals who are charged with watching and inspecting uh, meat and poultry plants, they are still there. Where business really isn't uh, as usual is, is in their paychecks. So they're, they're there, but they're working in, in many cases without uh, being paid. And I think that will have an impact over time. Um, yeah. So, well, yeah. And, and, you know, so I, after, after punting on one interview and directing the person to talk to you, I did get a, a follow-up call from, um, somebody at, um, NPR, uh, in New York. Uh, and, and so I have, there's two things I have to share about this. So number one, uh, the first thing that they shared is before they got into the interview is that they actually knew about me from being Dr. Don on Dubai Friday, which absolutely made <laughs> my awesome. day. So that was fantastic. Um, and then uh, I got into it with them and I, I didn't hear the interview, but it, it did run. And some people mentioned that they heard it on the, on the radio. Um, uh, I don't know if there's a way to find a link to it. I, I couldn't find a link, uh, uh, easily, but I didn't, didn't also didn't really look for it either. But one of the points I made, was about risk-risk trade-offs. And the whole reason the government is shut down is because of a disagreement about whether we build a wall um, in Mexico and because there's risks associated apparently with people coming from Mexico, right? And in the meantime... The government is shut down, which is creating risks, right? TSA employees are calling out sick, which puts uh, potentially our uh, our airports at risk. Uh, food safety uh, inspections are not being done, which is creating risk. Uh, USD, and in fact, I, I I got a call from a company that had a, a meat company that had a, a cooking devi- a cooling deviation, and they wanted some help. Um, and I gave them some help, um, but they also emailed the FSIS technical center and the, and they got an automated response from the technical center saying, um, we're, our responses are going to be delayed and they may not be complete. So please take this into account as you make this decision. And so clearly food safety is being impacted, right? Whether it actually results in an illness or not, um, we don't know. In fact, we, there could be an outbreak going on right now, Ben, that is not being investigated because of the shutdown, but we don't right. know that right, because right. it's shut down, right? And so uh, to me, and I got a little political and ranted a little bit on the NPR interview, um, and, and to say, like, it's, this, is, this is silly, right? We, we are preventing one hypothetical risk in exchange for creating lots of risks that are much less than hypothetical, right? And again, based on the liberal media that I read, um, it looks like uh, there's the, this this what we're, the border wall is going to do very very little to actually improve our overall safety. Whereas not funding um, uh, inspection agencies, food inspection agencies, is very definitely going to have an impact on food safety, um, which we maybe have not yet realized yet. So right, right, right. Anyway, and I and I get um, I get nervous if so the the absence of no outbreak or no incident in these 25 days 
lets those who are really trying to um, reduce government services for tax reasons or whatever bloat of government by saying, look, hey, it was shut down for 25 days. We didn't have any illnesses. We don't really need you. I, I really like and I know that that's a straw man or argument. I really worry that 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 happens, that someone uses this this, you know, uh, uh, you know, no investigation equals no illness uh, absence as um, uh, a reason for for further cuts. Well, we only have we only have to look at the state of Minnesota, which could could dramatically reduce its foodborne disease by not being so good at epidemiology, exactly. right? I mean, exactly. if they just got rid of all those goddamn epidemiologists in Minnesota, they would stop having so many reported foodborne disease outbreaks. Now, what they wouldn't do is start ha- stop having outbreaks. They just ha- stop having reported outbreaks right. because it's the inspectors that find the outbreaks. So anyway, and and on this topic, um, so we'll link to um, uh, Bill Marler had a, had a tweet um, uh, quoting a time.com uh, article and uh, Helena Botton-Miller-Evich had a tweet which was quoting a Vox article and we'll link to both of those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is this is one where the nuance matters too, right? Like, like the, um, I, I think some of the alarmist aspect of things, and I'll, I'll point to Paul Krugman as as on this. He, um, let me see if I can find this. Uh, on well, the, you 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 talk. I'll I'll yeah. search for Krugman. So ba- basically, he said something about like, um, you, no one's looking at your lettuce. We're going to see more uh, because of this. You should. Um, you should question the safety of all the food that you eat. And that doesn't, um, I think that's, that's going, that's going too far. And it makes, it makes the, the real argument, um, harder to have, which is all the stuff that that you and I just, just talked about. There, there are, there are impacts, but we're not going to see it immediately on our plate today. Um, and the longer it goes, the more impacts that, that we would expect to see, but it's, it's not as it's, it's almost like the conversation, um, from a a few months ago around water testing rules that that we've had this conversation on the, on the podcast about water testing rules, um, that were struck down by the Trump administration, making food, making the romaine linked outbreak likely to happen. It's like, no, it's, it's really not that it's, it, the science and the scientists arguing about it because what the testing rules were getting at wasn't good enough. And we, you know, we talked about this in a couple of podcasts ago, wasn't good enough for us to make good risk management decisions on. It had nothing to do with the administration other than this was the administration that the, that the conversation came, came up with. And so I, I want to, I want to make sure that we can excise some of this, um, uh, the, some of the, some of the partisan stuff with the, with the science. And that was what I, what I thought Krugman didn't do a great job at. Yeah. And so and, you know, it's interesting. I, I Googled Paul Krugman um, food inspections and he's written a lot of stuff on it over yes. the years. Um, uh, and, and one of the, the top hit was something from 2007, which we, we won't necessarily link to. But the, the the New York Times article you're talking about, it's an opinion piece uh, with the headline Trump's big libertarian experiment with a subhead. Does contaminated food smell like freedom, which is great. <laughs> it is great. I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know if he picked that or, or if the editor picked that. But anyway, we'll link to that. Um, uh, but but yeah, it's um you know, this is this has been an interesting discussion that has been in the news recently, and uh, yeah, so we'll see, we'll see. And I, gosh, I really hope my um, my my federal uh, partners, uh, you know, my federal colleagues and our federal partners in food safety, get back work to work soon because we need them. Yeah, I I was going to follow up with that exact same thing. That's it. I want them; they want to go back to work, and we want them to be back at work. 
Um, so yeah. Um, I think that I think that's a show. Is that okay? That's a yeah. show for me. I think sure. that's a show. Um, so the this was uh, this was food safety talk, and we're back on our normal schedule. The holiday double issue is over. Um, double special episode. Uh, so uh, keep listening, and um, we we're we're out of time again. That that Don and I we have our our schedule is. Uh, can be can be flexible if you want us to come out and do a live podcast. I think uh, we're we're probably ready to go travel. Um, we've had great experiences doing this in the past at, uh, in Minnesota and at Geneseo. So um, please uh, please and, and in Michigan, please invite us uh, if you want to see us live because we like to get together in person sometimes too. So. And that's uh, that's it. I think sounds good. All right. Bye bye. Bye. I always like to put that plug in of like we should go we should go do more stuff. Yeah. yeah so speaking of that, have you heard anything about this consumer food safety conference that they uh, thought that we were going to speak at? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I think so. I think I have some emails. I don't even know. I got to look at it. Let me. Okay. Let me dig at that today because I'm also in a weird spot. On I'm, we're doing a pre-conference workshop for that on the I don't know Wednesday, and then I got to be in. Because of hockey somewhere, where is it? I'm supposed to be in um, York, Pennsylvania, sometime on the Friday. Oh, because I think they've invited me to speak, but I think I'm speaking on the Friday. But I spot well anyway, whatever. Yeah. So, um, so I may be there with you, or we may be able to get them to move. I don't know. And then we're so one of the shutdown things that I didn't talk about is I'm working with. Um, we haven't mentioned John Lachansky and Anna Portafet. Uh, yep, thank you. Uh, and Jill uh, Hookstein at uh, UNL. We're working on uh, a uh, forum for like stack stuff in beef. And you know, John and Anna are out. At, like they, they, we can't. They can't talk to us about organizing yeah. this thing. And yeah. probably half of the people that were invited to this forum, it's like a invite forum we were trying to write a manuscript out of it let's talk about where the current science is over half the people uh, are from federal agencies so no one can answer like so you can set up like we're like oh hold the date and it's in march right but no one's gonna see it no one's gonna look at it so it's it's so stupid oh it makes me mad so 
Well, and you know, we we I, I won't I won't mention him by name, but we got I got an email from a uh, a federal colleague who said that about who was reviewing a manuscript for me, and yep. he said that the the setup for the shutdown was horrible. Like they, a lot of times before a shutdown, they get feedback on like, okay, these are the rules you're going to be, you right. can't go into the office, but you can do email or, you know, this or that. Right. And he said that they got not much information and then slowly the information has trickled out and it's been very unclear to them what they are prohibited and what they are allowed to do. And, uh, and so it's just, just the whole thing has just been terribly poorly handled. So, um, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not good. It's not good stuff. Um, oh, and the, you know, the other thing we didn't, I mean, now we're doing the show and the after show, but, um, one of the things that I think that, that has come up in some of these discussions, like the, the federal people that are scientists, like their experiments are getting screwed gone. up, Absolutely. right? Like, yep. like th- these could be experiments that have been going on for months and they're, they're missing data points or they're just, they're just not, they're just, they're just, you know, it's anyway, it's wasting, it's wasting a huge amount of money that could have been fixed if, if we had just gotten these people back to work. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and there's no, I mean, as we talk about this, I'm like following Twitter and looking at the New York times and Washington post, the failing New York times and, uh, Jeff, Amazon, Washington post, and Je- Jeff, Bozo's, Jeff Bozo. Washington post. <laughs> <laughs> I'm part of the problem, I guess. And there's like nothing, right? Like there's no like breaking news, uh, negotiations happening, imminent uh, shutdown over. None of that. None of that's happening. Uh, oh, apparently the the president is is uh, confused about where he's going. Of course, Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. Where's he? Like yeah. is it on he's stage? Going, he's going. <laughs> he's going to speak at an ag convention, but he got the city and the state wrong. Oh wow. He 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 said he was he rejected a proposal. I did reject it. Outside of Marine One. That's it. That's all we got. And then he, who knows? He doesn't know where he's going. My favorite are the the videos of him on stage going the wrong way. And <laughs> like and the just the montage of uh, and sometimes they put it. Have you watched Veep? We've talked a little bit about No, Veep, I have right? not watched Veep. So so what, here's some other homework. I think you're really gonna like Veep and it's light and it's it's gr- like it's really funny and they're Yeah, but short. it's another it's another show that I have to watch by myself because it would make my wife crazy. Uh probably that's probably true. It's good for travel this one because you can watch um three episodes of Veep while you're waiting to take off on your iPad. <laughs> um and anyway, there's the the thing with Veep is there there's always like um uh, um, something at the end and there's there, the closing credits has some like last final joke. And it's usually somebody doing something really stupid. And then they play this, like the veep song. And so I've seen all of these like Trump on stage oh. w- with the veep song, with the veep song. And yeah. It's, it's, it's great. People are, the internet's funny. Um, all right. So this one's mine. I'm going to, yep. this is going up today, Don. Boom. Boom. Uh, so here are some. So, and let's just, for the record, let's just state um, here in the after show that today is Monday, January 14th. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that when you're listening to this, you can find out uh, whether, whether, whether went up today. Is, 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 is actually true. It's like, it's like those episodes of uh, uh, Hypercritical or, or ATP where they say it's going to be a short one because there's not much to talk about. And then it's, and then and it's then 12 it, hours. Ends up, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so I have three potential show titles that we're going to decide right now. Oh, okay. Wow. This yeah. is like this, that, whatever's in the show is in the show. It's in the show, in the show. Wet feet, paper towel tongues, a new Scaramucci. 
Um, it's, it's, that's, I, a new Scaramucci is funny, but it's a little too political. It is, it's um, a little on the nose. Uh, pa- paper towel tongues is, is I think the best one. Yeah. Wet feet is a little, you know, it's a, it was early in the show. It was. Um, so I, 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 yeah. So I, I, my favorite is a new Scaramucci. The best show title is uh, paper towel tongues. Paper towel tongues. <laughs> and I just texted you to confirm paper towel tongues <laughs> is the winner. Uh, all right. Th- that's usually the thing that uh, takes a little bit of time. So now we got that out of the way. Um, and I will find even, well, I wonder if we can use, I guess we could use the actual image of paper towel tongues. I suppose we could. Yeah. It's on Imger. Yeah. It's in the, it's in the, it's an Uh, we got it there. Uh, paper towel tongues. It is, um, mine. All right. So two weeks from today, what do you got? Oh, oh, uh, scheduling. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, scheduling. I was like, uh, what are you talking about? Two weeks from today, what? Um, so currently, two weeks from today is, and this is uh, shutdown dependent. I may have a a phone call. What is that? I got a, a thing from 11 to 1 and then a phone call from 1 to 2. So I could do, um, I could do, so I'm let me let me help you here. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm booked up for a uh, basically one to three thirty uh, marathon uh, meeting conference call. Uh, let's not do that. So so I could I could we uh, we could do nine. Could do uh, nine. With, I have with a with a heart out at eleven. Here's some I got something TF. I have something that is in my calendar that says meeting TFE. I don't know what that means. It's at 10, but then I have another meeting at 11, which I think is the meeting. The actual TFE yeah, Temporary meeting? food events, TFE. Yeah, ah. that's, so that's, that's happening at 11. So I'm good until 11. So we could do 9 till 11, but I have a heart out at 11. That sounds good. All right, let's do that. And uh, I will – that will work. FST. Every Monday I miss – I have a, um, a standing meeting that I've never gone to. Nice. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's like a state update of outbreaks that are happening. That that actually sounds like a good meeting. Well, it is, but then there's four or five people on there that'll just text me if there's something. Yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what you call a life hack. It is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm. It's like I'm at the meeting, but I'm not really at the meeting. And I think that at least two of the people that text me are, are listeners to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So, so they know they know what they know what's up. Yeah, they, they understand. I mean, here, if you were at the meeting, you wouldn't be making a podcast, right? So. About about the things at the meeting. Exactly. Uh, that was one seventy three that we just recorded, or this is one seventy three at least. So one seventy four. Man, one seventy four. It's like we're in the we're in the dog days of the hundreds. Like we're almost <laughs> to two hundred. Uh, you know, like we had the one fifty. Like it's cra- we're just turning along, Don. This is great. I, I yeah I, I yeah this is uh, this is a thing that we do now. Like 174 episodes. That's like I don't think I've ever done 174 of anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that I think if yeah I might have at this point. Um, uh, so it used to be I had published more papers than podcasts, oh. but now at this point I have more podcasts than papers, and, and I will never catch up. Yeah, because I'm not going to do a paper every two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is this, this is the top. Yeah, I've not. I've definitely got more. I think I've got 40. Six or 47 publications. So we hit that a long time ago, whenever my, like probably in the 20s when we hit 20 
episodes, I had 20 publications. That's where I maxed out. There's a magic number, like a ma- there's yeah, a where term you, for that, where the right? crossover was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was a long that was a long time ago. I think that's called the H index. <laughs> yeah, we hit the we hit the, this H and I think we should pronounce it like they do in Ireland. H H index. Uh, yeah, uh, and then uh, but I mean. I, like I've gone to work 174 days. I, that you know, that's probably <laughs> something I've done. I've probably uh, played 174 hockey games, but other than that, there's not a lot of things that I could say I've done 174 times. So that's kind of cool. Like it's it's very cool. We should keep doing it. <laughs> We're setting <laughs> the record for things I do. I'm just googling H. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of things out there called H. <laughs> I, I think you're thinking of that. Uh, that um, neighborhood in um, in San Francisco, H, H-, H- yeah. <laughs> oh shoot! Perfect. All right, cool. Um, I will. Uh, I'll talk to you soon, and I'll. Yeah, this week I'll I'll get back to you on the um, uh, stuff in the in the uh, consumer education conference. Okay. Yeah, and whatever. I mean, it's it, it, it's it's it, whatever. Whatever. It's fine. Okay. So. Cool. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.